So good morning, Mike. It's great to be here. I think we've got a very exciting show ahead. We do. Uh, we're going to have Mike Beer come in, an uh, HBS colleague of mine who has written, I think it's 11 books. I hope I'm not underestimating wow. it on uh, corporate leadership. Uh, his latest, just released, is Fit to Compete, the subtitle, Why Honest Conversations About Your Company's Capabilities are the key to a winning strategy. Now, this is sort of in your wheelhouse uh, with all the teaching that you do in leadership and teams and so forth. But I'm interested in um, Mike's interest in adaptability. And I know, having seen the book, uh, he's also interested in trust, which is important in negotiation as well. Yeah. The idea of an honest conversation is a really intriguing one to think about what that looks like in a corporate context, because it's also what we aim for in our classrooms, isn't it, Mike? It is. It is indeed. And here at the business school, Harvard Business School, we explicitly work with the students so that they become good listeners of one another. Questions and comments build a thread in the course, and when the course is really going well, you can just sort of sit back and they take it, take yeah. it from there. It is interesting to think about the quality of uh, an honest conversation. I'm eager to hear what Mike has to say because it involves, as you say, being able to listen well, but also the ability to be able to speak so that you're heard. Yes. Well, let's invite him in. Isn't it nice that sitting across the table from us is Mike Beer, who knows a thing or three about leadership and organizations and so forth. Mike, so great to have you on. Uh, it's my pleasure. Now, uh, you and I go way back at the Harvard Business School. This is the first time I think you've met uh, Kim. Just yes. a little bit by way of background, how you became an academic and what you've been studying. Well, I, uh, like all of us here at the Harvard Business School, got a doctorate and uh, did a very unconventional thing after getting my doctorate. Instead of going to academia, I had an opportunity to go to Corning Glassworks, now Corning Incorporated, as their resident behavioral scientist and began to do some things I had learned at, as a PhD, which is, you know, do applied research. Mm -hmm. uh, that changed with about nine months or a year after I, I got there, I got this call from a small plant actually in Medfield, Massachusetts, which was a, a plant, a corning plant. And they said, Mike, um, we have read The Human Side of Enterprise by Doug McGregor, and uh, we want to become a theory Y plant. Doug talked about X being authoritarian and down, you know, top down, and Y being high involvement, more participative, without going into more detail. And we want to become a Y because uh, not only do you think this is a good idea, but our business requires high quality, instrument business, et cetera, et cetera, which is un different from Corning's. And we have all worked in Corning plants, and we think the culture is not a good one for what we're trying to do. You've been in this for a long, long time. So, so much in our lives is happenstance that we happen to be in yeah. the right place at the right time that we see a problem and so forth. You've been at the Harvard Business School for 30, 30 years. Well, emeritus yeah. since then, but yeah. 30 active, yeah. Yeah, and still active in the field. Yeah. And I'm looking down to my right, 
Here is yet another book. You're in double digits in publications now, Fit to Compete, which just came out this year, subtitle of which is Why Honest Conversations About Your Company's Capabilities Are the Key to a Winning Strategy. Uh, I'm wondering whether you can tell us in a few minutes just what some of the core ideas are and... um, If they're over my head, I'll interrupt with questions, and Kim, who is saving her voice, will come in from time to time as well. But but what's the message of the book, Mike? It might help if I started with a brief description of how it began. Uh, I had a call uh, from the CEO at that time, Regia Martin of Becton Dickinson, with his chief strategy and human resource officer. And what is Becton Dickinson? It's a a global medical technology company. And... They all were former, at the senior level, former strategy consultants, and they said, we have great strategy, but we have some difficulty executing our strategy. And uh, he described problems in getting U.S. divisions to get their products over to Europe, some resistance in Europe, not a lot, but some. Can you help us become a company capable of executing our strategy? And so I and my colleague, Russ Eisenstadt, whose ideas are also in in the book because we created a lot of these ideas together, had to think about how to get a senior team to examine not just their strategy, which is what they had been very good at doing. How do we get the senior team to figure out whether the organization is capable of executing their strategy? And out of that grew a methodology, which we call the strategic fitness process. The term fit has been around for a long time. It's alignment of the organization with the strategy and values, uh, which we added to it later. And do our capabilities, our organization, fit our direction? So it sounds like that's not an alignment that one can necessarily count on. That's right. Most firms are not totally aligned. Their challenge, particularly when they introduce a new strategy or want to change a direction, sometimes even looking at their current direction, is they're not aligned. That lack of effectiveness in executing what senior management thinks is critical to the success of the organization uh, is really the core, I argue, of creating an effective system of organizing, managing, and leading. So one of the perspectives here is that organizations are systems, and one of the problems in business and leadership is that they do not think systems. They take initiatives. Let's we got a customer problem. Let's work on the customer problem. The the question is why do you have a customer problem? You know, customer satisfaction or whatever it might be. It goes all the way back into the organization as a system. It may be the structure. It may be the leader themselves or the leadership team's own way of leading the company. It may be processes of one kind or another that don't exist or are broken. Uh, It may be HR policies in terms of how they hire and develop their people that allows that to happen or not. But I'm looking down at the subtitle here. Second word is honest. Yes. Why honest conversations are key. Right. Um, So when you look at non-alignment, Uh, Where does uh, a lack of candor fit into that equation? So the argument of the book is that that people in the organization below the top, first of all, the argument is the top doesn't really understand how aligned they are or not. They have some notions about it. They know when 
pro- there's a problem, but they don't really know what is the cause of the lack of alignment. What makes it hard for those at the top not to have that understanding of uh, They don't work? ask. They just don't recognize that people below the top have rich and real powerful information about why things are not working, whether it be any of the elements I talked about, and how that connects to their intent, their strategic or cultural intent, their values, if you will, uh, and that that lack of conversation is preventing them from understanding the system of organizing, managing, and leading. So the higher up you go in the chain, it sounds like the greater the challenge of knowing What's That's really right. going That's right. on? Well, it, we argue basically partly on the basis of previous research. I wrote a book called The Critical Path uh, to Corporate Renewal with Russ, who's, who's co-founder of these ideas, uh, that organization transformation occurs on a unit-by-unit level. So you have a corporate unit. And by unit, well, I guess you're about to say it. Corporate unit, business unit, uh, functional unit, regional unit. Each one of those has the same challenge. And you can solve the alignment problem at the corporate level. That's really corporate al- alignment of the corporate organization with intention and the lack of honest conversation about whether that's working. So all the business unit leaders, the functional leaders, all know whether the company is working well or not in some way or other. And that honest conversation does not occur as a regular ongoing understanding of what's going on. I, I, I want to push on the honesty yes, thing. Please. Um, we hear of leaders of whether they're companies or not-for-profits or even government yeah, yeah. agencies. This applies to all organizations. Um, who say, you know, my door is always open. Yeah. Well, it is, and some leaders keep it open. The argument here is that the conversation that's required to understand the organization and change it, that's the key, is a collective conversation. The argument is that even if I come into your office, Mike, and you're the CEO, and I tell you, I think things are really messed up here and here, whatever it might be, you have a problem. The problem is that you know what I told you, but you have to convince your senior team that that is really a serious problem yes. for them to really act on it with you in a collective way. So why don't I do that? Uh, why don't you have a conversation? Yeah, I mean, we're, you, I've got the bad news from somebody who works with well, me each or leader, me. each leader has a self-interest that's associated with their part yeah. of the organization. Yeah. And they want to be successful themselves. Or seen as successful. Y- that's right. Because basically organizations are a tournament for success, right, and promotion. And, and they also have their own ideas about what the company should do or not do. Yeah. And that may be or not be aligned with the senior team. And, and one of the findings here is we have six silent killers. What we learn from honest conversations reveal one of whom is the senior team, yeah. which honest conversations always reveal as part of the problem. And the leader himself or herself is part of the problem, or the lack of clarity of direction as part of the problem. And the big one, the lack of effective coordination and integration across all the parts of the organization. So, so somebody, somebody may feel that he or she has the door open, but 
people might be hesitant to say the least well, to deliver uh, bad but news. That's the second thing I was going to say. I mean, first of all, saying that and getting it is different. Yep. And even what I, even if you were able to convince your senior team these are all real problems and there would be no problem at all, there are two problems. One of them is people will not come to you with the full story. It's not the whole system they're talking about. They'll talk about something tangible ah, and ah. hard but not socio-emotional in nature, okay? So it doesn't deal with the collective problem. The collective problem. So I think it's going to be hard for me to tell you, Mike, as CEO, that part of the problem is you. I might be able to complain. <laughs> I might or know. The, or your senior team. Yeah. Or that there's politics in the organization because that will identify some of my colleagues who I don't necessarily am comfortable revealing. So all those issues, the richness of those issues do not come up in the conversation with you as an individual, because part I, I don't want to, I can't talk about. It. The second major problem with an individual conversation is you need to mobilize the whole organization. Yeah, yeah. So this is so fascinating to think about what uh, conversations go on, but what people and senior executives hear and don't hear. That's right. Mike, what are the conditions that create an optimal environment for those kinds of complaints? that are carrying such critical information to get to senior leadership. And then what do senior leaders, how do they need to readjust their own ears in order to be able to take in the message? So what are the conditions? The conditions for an honest conversation is high trust, trust in the leadership that they will do the right thing. I see. They will respond and do things. And, and the reason for lack of trust is that leaders do not make themselves sufficiently vulnerable, which you have to do in order to gain trust. Basically, when you make yourself vulnerable, I am saying to you, I trust you to basically deal with the issues I'm revealing to you, which are not normally revealed, right. uh, in a way that cares about me. And that mutual relationship is what the honest collective conversation begins to develop. So the vulnerability you're talking about is not that I reveal something that happened in my life, but yeah. it's, it's more to do with a, a kind of attitude or perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, think about embarrassment for a moment, okay? We don't want to be embarrassed. So making myself vulnerable to hearing that the enterprise system, and this actually is a true story, uh, the enterprise system that I've been leading a chief financial officer, I'm now the CEO, is really screwed up. And it's going to cost the company $100 million to fix the problem. Makes, first of all, it's embarrassing. It makes me vulnerable, not only with respect to my, the performance of my company, but my board that learns about the performance. I mean, I'm in trouble, okay? Yeah. It, it sounds like you're talking about a form of public learning. With, Absolutely. The That's why I call it an honest, collective, and internally public conversation. Everyone in the organization has to feel, not, or at least a, a good number of key leaders have to be involved. They are in, in the conversation. They're in the conversation. They're revealing something they know has been going on. There's a methodology we created, which is a task force briefly going out and interviewing people. That conversation becomes public in a sense that, you know, in a summarized way, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or sometimes even in a public way. So we urge that once the honest conversation has revealed problems, there's an action plan developed by the senior team. The senior team has to get the approval of the task force or get them to consider the, the, the strategy and the, the change effort, decide 
tell them whether it's going to work or not, and if they've heard everything or not, and then they have to share it with the whole organization. I understand that a lot of your work has been directed at large organizations, and as you said earlier, not necessarily uh, for-profit corporations, but is there a problem of honest conversations in startups, in smaller kinds of groups? Uh, what's your Absolutely. Uh, unless you're two or three or four people sitting around the table, which is relative, relatively easy, although there are problems even there in honest conversations, uh, you, can sort the, you need to sort them out at your team level. But once you get into 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, which is what startups try to do to be successful, problems begin to emerge. You as a, an entrepreneur has create, have created a firm. You may not know enough about management and leadership to have created that system, that small system, well. Your success in growing the company depends on your ability of learning whether the 40 or 50 of you are working together in different functions and activities are working together collaboratively and in a unified way to achieve your strategy. Kim, I've got a question for you. I mean, teaching this course at the Kennedy School of Government, presently you're dealing with hierarchy. You must see other situations where there's the lack of candor and there is supposedly a mission or strategy, but people aren't being entirely forthcoming about, about things. Can these kinds of honest conversations be prompted from the bottom up as opposed to top down, in your view? Well, there's so much resonance with the work that Mike is describing in his book, Fit to Compete, in his articles. You know, it, it is so true, and the, the experience of my students as they describe their work lives, where the people at the top don't necessarily know what's going on at the middle, let alone what the people who've just entered the system right. uh, have to, right. what they're seeing and thinking. Right. What they're seeing. If I could just add one Please. thing. The argument of the book is that we know organization failures occur for many different reasons, and multiple reasons are giving. Poor strategy, poor structure, uh, bad customer relations, et cetera. The argument I make is that all those prob the at the core of all those problems that undermine whatever the problem is, is a lack of honest conversations. Mm. If you solve that problem in organizations, you solve everything else because problems surface. If you are held accountable for performance or care about performance or both, you're going to deal with them in one way or another, and you'll find the resources to deal with them or you'll deal with them yourself if you have enough resources. That is the underlying. Think Boeing 737 MAX. Oh. Think Volkswagen's problem. Think Wells Fargo's problems. All the people below the organization knew what was going on. The CEO of Wells Fargo did not want to be fired, and he didn't want to do a bad thing. He just did not understand that the policies and practices with regard to creating new accounts was really escalating into a major ethical as well as a performance problem. So what would have happened if he'd asked for an honest, created mechanisms for an honest collective and public conversation from which he could learn that his initiative was causing all kinds of not only performance but ethical problems? You're describing a very important shift in maybe how we think about leadership. Absolutely. Which is the, the leader, the person who is exercising leadership, who is practicing leadership, 
is also modeling what it means to learn absolutely. in public and absolutely. what it means to you got learn it. in process. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. This, the premise of this, the underlying problem we have in organizations and institutions, whether they're government, not-for-profit, is our model of leadership. The underlying premise of leadership is you've got to be strong and you've got to be decisive. And, of course, I'm not saying you don't want to be strong and be decisive, but that in itself does not create a great company, a great not-for-profit, or a good government organization unless you recognize that in addition to advocacy, you also have to have the capacity for inquiry. It's those two things together. Inquiry alone will not do it either. Your job as a CEO is to create a direction for the company and redefine the direction based on inquiry, okay? So we are, what we've created is a process for inquiry and reflective learning. The notion is that if you learn, that organization change through a learning process, not through a direction. Well, it's interesting, Kim. The, um, you had said it would be great to talk to uh, Mike, about leadership. Can we get you back at some point to do that? Absolutely. You know, it also seems, Mike, that you're talking about the fundamental importance of being curious, of being curious when the results aren't what you expect and being curious yeah. about the complaints that people a- absolutely. bring to your office. Absolutely. Curious and human. Hmm. Most hierarchies kill humanness at the lower levels and at the top. And I argue in a book that hierarchy is one of the underlying problems, and essentially honest conversations are a way to suspend hierarchy, create a trust-based relationship to learn what the hell is really going on here, and fix it. It doesn't eliminate hierarchy. You need hierarchy. Somebody at the top has got to decide if, if it can't be decided at lower levels in an effective way. Well, thank you so much for joining us. The book is Fit to Compete. The website is beer, B-E-E-R, Michael, uh, dot com. So great to be with Mike Beer uh, on Agility at Work. And thank you, Mike, for an honest conversation. My pleasure. Let's remind people about how they can chat with us and with their fellow listeners on our Negotiation 360 website. Well, it's not just the chat that they can have with us and other listeners, but there are other resources uh, on the site. Um, You can find my Negotiation 360 self-assessment and best practice app. There are links to online courses, and we're putting up articles that you and I have written together and maybe some others as well. So there's lots of stuff on agile negotiation and adaptive leadership, much of it is free. We've even simplified the URL for podcast listeners. Here's how to find us. Just key in the letter N, as in negotiation, and the numbers 360.expert. That's N360.expert, and you'll find us. <laughs>